Hello, welcome to Pete Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with co-host Connor Lavelle. Man, it feels like an eternity since we've done this last episode, right, Connor? Yeah, it has been quite some time, but uh, we are back and we have lots to talk about today, which is going to be exciting. I don't know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and luckily the Cube content hasn't been that quiet. If you check out our YouTube channel, you can find the draft from... Oh, no, not draft. What am I talking about? The power rankings. We had the live stream power rankings from this past uh, weekend, going over all of our favorite decks from the past Cube League. Uh, Connor, what do you think of the power rankings? Did you kind of expect them to all land, or did you have any surprise picks or decks you had to reconsider? I did feel like the top decks this Cube were pretty defined in that they were better than the decks beneath them. Yeah, that's um, that's fair. Some some cube league decks are really close together, but this league I felt like there was a, a pretty defined like set of eight or ten decks at the top that um, that was all people were really considering, and I think our our picks definitely reflected that. So uh, if you haven't seen the video, definitely take a look at it because we talk about some really good decks, and uh, you can definitely learn some things about what might make a deck powerful. Um, but uh, overall, this time was... I, I did anticipate that the top decks would be fairly similar. You know, one card I wasn't really... I mean, actually, until I looked at all the decks, it was Acerola. That was a card I wasn't really thinking about being as strong or as prevalent, I should say. And uh, to see everyone else's picks kind of align with that thought is Acerola's... I mean, Ace Roll is a good card, so uh, I think that was one of the things I missed when I was drafting was, like, how busted that card was. Yeah, Ace Roll is nuts. So we saw that in a lot of the top decks. I know I definitely had a lot of decks in my top five that had it. As well as, like, a Reset Stamp with uh, in combination. A Reset Stamp or N in conjunction with a Power Plant. That seemed to be a popular one. Uh, I think your deck actually has both of that, right? I do. Yes, I have N and Reset Stamp and Power Plant. Yeah, it's a really just really combination to shut decks down. I guess while we're on the subject, how is Cubely going for you? Going well so far. Uh, started off 3-0. This round I'm down paired into a matchup that I don't know if it's terrible, but it's not ideal. Like I would definitely be, I would definitely prefer to play different decks. <laughs> um, this one has some cards that I'm not too happy to play against, but. Uh, I can kind of do my thing really unimpeded, which will be nice because I've had to play in kind of strange ways my last couple of matchups. So this one, uh, this one will be pretty straightforward. And uh, win or lose, at least I can play a pretty normal game. But uh, yeah, three zero so far. Deck has been really kind to me. Um, just super aggressive starts with uh, you know eighty plus damage on turn two with a little Exeggutor. Garbodor, Trashal Inch really coming in clutch in the late game. Uh, nice weakness diversity, so even those Salazzle GXs uh, don't stop me up too bad. So overall, just been really happy with the deck, and uh, hopefully my success can continue. You're going up like against two Salazzle GXs this round, right? Yes. So I've actually already gone against Salazzle GX, uh, and it was easier to deal with than I expected. The Dragon Alolan Exeggutor trades one for one with it, and um, I can recover that and use it twice. I can also just throw two grass eggs at it if I have to. It's not that big a deal. I can use Garbodor to get a, uh, a hit in because it doesn't actually knock out Garbodor. It only deals 110. 
So um, I can also use Dedenne GX's GX attack to set up 50 damage, and then the 160 is really easy for my deck to clean up. So uh, lots of little tricks that I can do for knocking out Salazzle, and uh, overall it's it's not not the hurdle that I initially thought it was before I went into the first matchup where I had to play against it. Yeah, you sound like you're pretty prepared for this one. So this is what, round four? Is that right? And then there's six rounds? Yep, this is round four out of six. So if I win this round, I'll be almost guaranteed for top eight because my resistance will be so strong playing against other four O's. So really hoping to win this one. If I lose this one, then it's kind of a toss-up. Uh, it'll it'll be a lot less certain whether I'll be able to make it in at 4-2 or if I'll have to make it in at 5-1. So... But uh, either way, definitely worse positions to be in, I would say. Oh, for sure. And, you know, best of luck to you. Definitely hope you cut. Uh, you're so close. I think you're trying to cut everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I really need to overtake Al on the rankings. That's that's my number one goal right now. And uh, pretty much guides all of my decisions <laughs> as far as the league is concerned. For, any, for uh, anyone listening so. that doesn't know, Al beat Slight in the finals uh, of the last Cube League very unfortunate <laughs> yeah and he he uh overtook me on the rankings uh he's the first person to do that in a year so i really need to get it back well best of luck hey you know what helping your points here let's talk about a uh, team challenge a team showdown that's not something we commonly talk about but uh for anyone who doesn't know what that is basically it's a 3v3 team draft so connor and i are both on a team and um Basically, we draft with the other team. Uh, we also have a third member named Caleb, and uh, we we draft as you know two teams, and then we play against each other throughout the month. So, um, Connor, you want to talk about what happened? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, round one, we had some bad beats. Yeah. Uh, we had a really close set, lost four to five. Round two, um, we we went in with a very specific strategy of don't care about having a deck just take the good cards and uh this cube is really susceptible to that because there's some really really powerful cards and some really weak cards so um we ended up executing that pretty well and uh andrew and i were able to go a, a nice 6-0 before or just, I, I think in like a couple days, I uh, just played like three games in three games. Um, Caleb wanted to play, I think, but uh, I, I don't think he'll have the opportunity to. So that was that was nice to come back from the loss last round, which I think was really disheartening, at least for me, um, and uh, and be able to so strongly win this round. I was going to say, Caleb carried us last time with his Torterra deck, and then he didn't get to play this last one. <laughs> <laughs> just take it easy it'll yeah. be fine yeah um energy key was interesting that's definitely uh we talked about that in the podcast before and that's the one where you have to draft your energy alongside the other cards which I, I mean as a newcomer into that kind of experience it was cool it was something i haven't really done before and i i liked being able to like have to decide between do i want a basic energy or do i want like this consistency card and you have to keep track of that in your deck and you have to make sure that you're getting into a line where you have enough energy to play it. I don't know. It just like it, it had me thinking about things a little bit differently, which I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, it, it's a fun experience. You know, it is different. Um, and uh, it, it's 
probably not something that I'd want to do every time, but as something to do every now and then, or just a, like a nice detour, makes you think about the draft a little bit differently. I do think it's fresh and I do think it's fun. So uh, happy to play the concept of Energy Cube. I just think that uh, maybe some of the balance changes made in the lead up to Team Cube uh, did not work in the Cube's favor. Yeah, I felt like the draft I got was like pretty busted. The Volcarona with um, the Heat Cyclone from Shining Legends that just lets you repel the active and you can do that every turn felt really strong and the fact that Volcarona has 120 HP that can get boosted by heat energy as well as like a uh, solar flare allowing you to uh, bench a basic attached to like energies to it so I would either go into uh, Regilock Regicyclone or Heatran um, with the uh, can't remember what set it's from but it has like uh, the ability to let you pull a fire energy to it from other Pokemon you can discard and does like 40 plus 20 for each that you discard I don't know deck felt really strong with all of that in there yeah, I played um, a Scizor Curse Stone deck, like a like a powerless deck essentially. Um, I had the Scizor from I think it's Stormfront um, deals two for forty, uh, but if you don't have any powers in play, it deals two for seventy, which in Energy Cube is a really crazy rate on damage. Um, it's got a body where if it has sixty damage on it, then all attacks deal 40 damage less, which is crazy. It has another attack, which deals 2 for 30, and if it takes a knockout, then it can't be affected by attacks, including damage the next turn. So, just so many crazy things going on in that card. Uh, and then the other Scizor has a nice 3 for 80 and a really great metal typing, so I was able to use some special metals, get some damage reduction. Also drafted double Vitality Band, so I was able to one-shot uh, 80 and 90 HP Stage 1s really easily, which is a huge chunk of the cube. Um, overall deck felt uh not not very fair i would say yeah now if anyone is interested in seeing this cube list that we're talking about i uh, will include a link to it in the description of whatever platform you're watching it on so yeah if you want to see what an energy cube looks like uh feel free to check it out shout out to quartz who is the cube builder for that uh i guess we've been talking long enough do we want to just go right into our crack pack yeah let's do it all right do we have one pulled up i think we do Yep, I've got one here. All right, so the cards that we have for Crack Pack today, we are once again doing Vents Cube. This is going to be the last time we do this cube before we transition. Um, the cards in it are Crinplup from Majestic Dawn, uh, N, Altaria with Fight Song, Super Rod, Landorus with Linear Attack and Power Cyclone, Cynthia, Nest Ball, and Pokemon Communication, and Quick Ball. Hi, oh, yes. So, uh, pretty pretty solid pack. I think you'd be extremely happy to open this in any cube, any power level. Um, Andrew, uh, give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, so, um, I mean, we're facing a lot of good cards here with the Cynthia, the Anne, the Communication. I think I'm definitely hands down taking the Primplup. No, I'm kidding. April Fools, oh, right? Oh yeah, easiest pick in the pack for sure. <laughs> April Fools. I'm not taking the print plot. I, I for, for what I would think I would probably want to take is actually the communication, and I would take that over the Cynthia end because like, there's just a lot of good draw support in this cube, and I think communication is offers like probably the best consistency of this pack. So uh, yeah, I'm probably going communication. Connor, what are you looking at? Yeah, I agree that item-based search is absolutely premium in this cube, uh, and the decks that we see being really powerful right now are playing six-plus item search cards. Um, 
I'm playing 10. I think that might be the highest number. So kind of gives you an idea of what you're looking at as far as that goes. So I, I like communication in this cube a lot. Um, I also like the end just because the disruptive effect is really strong. I don't really consider it a draw supporter in the same sense that I might some other cards, but I really just want the disruptive effect anyway. Disruption is really strong here. Uh, but I'm not going to take either of those cards. <laughs> the card in this pack that I would take is the Fight Song Altaria. And that is because it is a really, really powerful card in two separate decks in this cube. And both of those decks are really good. It is very, very powerful with Alolan Exeggutor. Uh, because it buffs the damage of the dragon one. And that one is really the better of the two because it, it functionally has no weakness. And then uh, it is also great with Como. It can boost your damage. It can give you some one-shots on stage twos and... Well, not stage twos. You, you one-shot all the stage twos. But it can give you some one-shots on uh, GXs and even stage two GXs with a choice band. If you have double Altaria choice band, I believe that's a one-shot on everything. So uh, Altaria rounds out your damage really nicely in Coma O. I like both of those archetypes a lot, and uh, I would I would be pretty happy to start with this Altaria, knowing that if I did get onto one of those two archetypes, I'd have a pretty solid shot at making a good deck just immediately. Yeah, no, that's very solid. Actually, that wasn't a card I was thinking about when I saw the Altaria fight song, so I'm glad you brought that up because... Uh, honestly, it makes a lot of sense when you look at those archetypes. Like, you're going to want Altaria and a combo deck or a lone Executor deck just for the extra damage. So, knowing that you have that early makes it a lot easier to get into those lines safely rather than the other way around. Um, it also is just nice to know that, like, you have half of those two of them in the cube. So, um, you have at least one of them, which is good. Um, no, very yeah, interesting pick. It's, it's very nice, too, because if you let this Altaria through in favor of one of the consistency cards, it's almost certainly not going to come back. Then you're going to have somebody else at the table that's trying to do something with it. So locking this up right away gives you more opportunities to both get the other Altaria and, and build the decks that Altaria is powerful with. So I really like the Altaria here. That would definitely be make pickup. So let's just say, like, I wasn't interested in those decks, but if I take communication and Altaria doesn't come back, is that a pretty good signal then that someone's on those archetypes? Yes and no. So it's kind of tricky because Altaria would be kind of what I consider a soft signal. Um, I could see people picking up Altaria speculatively, like like I would have, um, and uh, and just kind of seeing that Altaria is a powerful card, maybe considering those archetypes. I wouldn't consider it as much of a giveaway as, you know, seeing a Como O not come back or something. However, if the Altaria does come back, that I would consider to be a significant signal that those decks are both wide open. Uh, those decks being Alolan Exeggutor and Como. So if the Altaria does come back, that is a huge sign to me, significantly less so than if it doesn't, just because odds are somebody is going to pick this card up before it gets back to you, regardless of whether they end up in that deck or not. Yeah, I think that kind of goes hand in hand, you know, with this, you know, the second they pick Altaria, but then also seeing if that comes back, it feels really likely that no one's really interested in those lines, at least at this point in the draft. So, yep, very good point. Um, this one felt kind of straightforward, didn't it? Yeah, straightforward in some sense, right. but uh, but kind of subversive as well, just because uh, the Altaria being the pickup in a pack of such high power trainers is is I think not intuitive uh at least not what a lot of people would jump to and um please feel free to argue your point in the comments uh, on discord or on youtube happy to have that discussion yeah please do and you know where to find those right in the comment section 
Um, we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. You know, let us know what you what you would like to pick. Um, if you are listening on a platform other than YouTube, uh, make sure to check the description. Uh, we do include uh, images to all our cracker packs in the description of our of our podcast, just so everyone can watch and see the cards that we're talking about. Uh, if you want to see what we're talking about on other packs, make sure to check our Twitter where we do tweet about these packs as well. So you can reference other cracker packs we've done in the past. But uh, any final thoughts on this pack? I think we both kind of set our piece pretty well. Yeah, I think we pretty well covered it. Um, I mean, either way, you're going to be happy no matter what you take out of the pack. And I think uh, one way is just going to set you up to have a, a powerful deck in a certain direction more. Uh, and the other card is going to be kind of a catch-all. So not necessarily... I, I wouldn't consider the communication a bad pick by any means, but uh, I think you would be inhibiting your potential in the draft by taking that instead of the Altaria. Yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, make sure we're going to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about drafting Pokemon the hard way. So you want to find out what we mean by that? Make sure to stick around till after the break. All right, welcome back. So in the intro, we talked about, uh, we're talking about how drafting the hard way, which might sound like a really weird title, but actually it's not our own. This actually comes from a very uh, famous magic article called Drafting the Hard Way uh, by Ben Stark. It's a highly regarded article. Um, not something I actually knew about until Connor uh, pointed me to it. Uh, since I'm not, I don't really come from a magic background, but it is talking about a certain techniques in drafting. Is magic has a lot more of a draft format than we do in Pokemon. In fact, Pokemon drafting is virtually non-existent, but it's fairly popular in magic and. People get really good at it and they have, uh, you know, things that they use to help improve their game. And uh, this talks about a lot of key concepts that we, we feel like can apply to Cube itself. And um, I, I know when I read it, I was like, wow, I'm actually, there's actually quite a few tidbits in here that I, I have been doing wrong. Um, so uh, we figured we might as well need an episode about it. So um, Connor, how would you describe this article or do you have anything to say about it before we get started? Yeah, so I think uh, I think there are concepts in this article that, that you can really apply to any kind of draft. Essentially, the article goes over the perspective and the thought process that you should take to have the best possible odds of having a successful draft every single time, which is something that, you know, a lot of cube players who are very good will make a totally broken cube deck one time and then the next time make a, a pile of junk and it happens all the time happens to even very good players and this article essentially goes over the ways uh, in, in the context of magic but it's very applicable generally the article is very theoretical it does use some tangible magic examples but they're they're explained very well so i think it's pretty easy to understand for everybody um it goes over the ways where you will not have that happen. You will not have those junk decks happen nearly as often, if ever, uh, by by taking advantage of some of the techniques used in the article. So we're going to go over you know the individual points and all that uh, very shortly here, but that's kind of the broad strokes. It's essentially an article about deconstructing the common ways, the common methods, uh, and approaches to drafting and giving yourself the best odds of building a good deck every time. 
Yep. And if anyone wants to check out the article, even before we go into it or after, again, check the description on whatever platform you're listening to. We'll make sure to include it. But I'm sure the first question everyone's going to have is, why is it drafting the hard way? What is so hard about it? Yeah. So the uh, the article is a little bit more dramatic, I think, than, than the articles would be written nowadays. Of course, the article is eight years old almost now. So not surprising that um the writing styles may have changed and and that uh, is a thing but drafting the hard way the reason why it's the hard way is because there is a lot more going on there's a lot more going on as far as demands of the player there's a lot more going on as far as things that you have to watch for things you have to think about and um it's uh in in more specific terms so instead of the easy way which is how most people draft. Uh, ben Stark eyeballs this at 95% of people in Magic. I think it's a lot harder to quantify that in Pokemon Cube because Cube is such a fragmented thing, but uh, I, I would still say the overwhelming majority of Pokemon Cube players draft this way as well, where they see a piece of a line early or they see a line that they like early on and they take that card, they take that stage two, whatever it is, and they just spend the whole draft drafting with that specific card or that specific strategy in mind. Like pack one, they take a stage two, and they're just say, say pack one, they take a septile, and they just draft septile the whole time. And they don't really pay much attention to cards for other archetypes that they might be seeing, cards for septile that they might not be seeing, uh, things like that. So that's, that's the way that most players draft. They get into an archetype early on, and they just kind of ride that archetype all the way to the end. Um, we'll talk more about you know the the pitfalls of that and what might happen in the end. But um, the hard way is in pretty stark contrast to that. So drafting the hard way is evaluating each card in your pack as its ability to help you win and its strength overall. So if you are in pick three and you have, let's say a Sceptile and you have an Herbal Energy, well, that's a really good start with Grass. Uh, but then you see a Blaziken and um, maybe you see like a Grovile or something. A lot of players would take that Grovile because that they, they think they're on Sceptile, they think they're on Grass already, you know, they've already made that decision and, and that's it. But drafting the hard way is saying, okay, I'm going to take this Blaziken because the potential that this Blaziken grants me to, you know, develop a different strategy, um, to make a successful deck in the end, you know, maybe, maybe Sceptile ends up being drafted. I have no real information in pack two about what's open and what's not. Blaziken is the card with the most potential to give me a good outcome in the end. Even though, of course, Grovile will almost certainly end up in my deck if I do decide to take it, because then I'm, I'm um, beginning to commit to Sceptile so hard. And if I'm on that thought process, I'm probably just going to slam every Sceptile piece I see. But if I take that Blaziken, even though it doesn't work with the cards that I've already taken, and they're not going to exist in the same deck together, it is potentially going to be a more powerful pick in the end, because I might end up pivoting and going into something different based on what's open, based on what's available at the table, based on what cards I see. So it's essentially drafting the hard way 
is taking a lot of different factors into consideration with each pick instead of just autopiloting it, auto, auto, <laughs> autopiloting it or drafting in a very narrow way, uh, locking in very early, things like that. And again, we'll break it down more in detail. It's pretty much what the entire episode is going to be about. But that's that's the broad strokes once again. That's the general gist of it. So like in that aspect, when you're looking at like between like you already have like a septile and you see the Blaziken, you're thinking about more so like like the Blaziken's like a better deck. Is that the idea? So the idea is that taking the Blaziken gives you the potential to use Blaziken. So if you take the Grovile, then you either are committing to Septile, just hard, you know, pick three of pack one, which you have very, very little information there. You don't know if somebody else is on the same line. You don't know what pieces you're going to end up seeing. There, there's so much uncertainty. You have so little information at that point. If you is this, is this like before you've taken any like septile pieces or is this no? Like... So this is this is like after you. So in this example, I'm saying you picked a septile pack one. Okay. So you picked a septile pack one. You picked an herbal energy pack two. So you picked a septile and a, and a strong grass support card. Ah, I and see. Then... So, so that you don't know for a fact if the other septiles are open because it's so early into the draft that exactly. like the Blaziken is enabling you into uh, playing Blaziken. Okay, it makes sense. Yeah, so if you take the Blaziken, then you're keeping yourself open to playing a Blaziken deck in the long run. And and the ability to pivot in that way and the ability to develop into a different direction than the Sceptile alone is really powerful, especially in the early part of the draft where you don't have the information that you might and, and you are not certain that you'll be able to turn that Sceptile into a good deck. Um, I, I know one specific example was um, in... June, yeah, June of last year for the Cube League, I saw a Gengar in pack one. Uh, I think it was pack one, pick one. And I took the Gengar because I thought that it was a, a good archetype to get into. I wanted to try to play it. And um, and I just kind of watched what was going around the table. And I saw like Haunters and Ghastlies, which it, another player might have just snapped right away. But I let them go around the table. I picked some more versatile cards that let me get into other decks because I wanted to see, you know, what information was coming around, what kind of things was I seeing at the table. I didn't want to commit to that Gengar because if I go Gengar and three cards in combination of Haunter and Ghastly, so that's four picks in the first pack, and then I don't end up on Gengar, then those cards were useless. But... The bigger issue, too, is if I commit to Gengar immediately and then somebody else ends up on Gengar, I'm just going to end up with a terrible deck in the end. And what happened in the, this draft, and the reason why I bring it up, is that uh, those Ghastlies and Haunters didn't come back at all. Not a single one came back. So to me, it indicated that at least one person at the table had also taken a Gengar and I didn't want to be on it. So not committing to those lines, not committing to that card too much even though it was my, my pack one pick one, allowed me to stay open, stay versatile, and get into something that ended up having more availability down the line. And what ended up happening in that draft was, I believe, four different players took a Gengar. And two of them ended up trying to 
build it, like trying to make a Gengar deck. And each of them only had one or two Gengars at most. Um, and, and they didn't end up doing very well. So that was a really concrete example of this kind of thing exactly, where these players see the Gengar, they commit to it really early on, and then they end up competing for it because they didn't respect the information at the table. They didn't take anything into account other than, I see this Gengar, I'm going to try to draft this deck now. And, uh, and it really had a negative effect on their outcome. Yeah, I think it makes more sense than when you talk about drafting the easy way versus drafting the hard way. Because like drafting the easy way, it's like, okay, I'm a simple man. I see Gengar. I take Gengar. Um, and that can definitely lead to a lot of problems down the line. And I think the biggest key to that is the fact that you don't know what other people are taking. Especially pack one. Because, I mean, assuming you have like maybe six packs to work with, like there's a lot of things that can change. People see different lines just as you do. And... Someone might see a Gengar in their first pack later on, maybe in pack two even, and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm I'm drafting the easy way. I'm taking Gengar. So it's super easy for that to happen. That's actually a crazy example, but, uh, you know, a very, you know, I think real one that happens to a lot of players without realizing it. I myself have found myself in that situation before. Uh, I know in pack two of my um, Cube League draft, I saw a Decidueye GX, and I was, like, very much on the line after that point, and that ended up leading me to a ton of problems because... Uh, later on, uh, or maybe probably earlier on, I should say, someone had two other Decidueye GXs. Uh, and while they weren't drafting the line, I mean, I was never going to see those. And I had no way of knowing if I was ever going to see the other two. So that can definitely happen. And that, I think it happens more often than players realize. Yeah, I think it happens all the time. I mean, people people commit too early. People commit with very little information. And what that ends up doing is it ends up putting them into a position where they are not necessarily setting themselves up for failure, but they're, they're giving themselves the opportunity to fail, essentially. Um, they are giving themselves a chance to fail, whereas if they had stayed open, they'd learned more, they had really taken into consideration what was going on around them, they would not have put themselves at that risk. They could still have tried to get into, you know, Decidueye or whatever else they're looking at, but committing to it so fully uh, really set them up for failure in the end yeah um so now i guess we get into what this article talks about as it relates to pokemon now full disclosure i am not a magic player i mean i played some magic but i would consider myself an expert uh, so i will probably i will defer to uh, connor more so for the uh direct magic comparisons so i guess we should talk about what is the same so that means what in this article relates to pokemon yeah and and uh, just uh, an important distinction to make. This article is generally applicable to lots of different kinds of draft. The, the concepts that are spoken about are universal in a lot of cases. They're extremely, extremely useful in very many games. However, some of it is definitely more applicable to magic. Some of it is actually not true. And it's, it's the opposite of the truth in Pokemon. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the things that are the same. And we're also going to talk about the differences. So things to keep in mind when you read the article, things to keep in mind when you're drafting, all that. Yeah, so you just want to go into what is the same now? Um, I guess the first thing that we've talked about and uh, I can both agree on is forgetting about what decks you like. So something that Ben Starr talks about um, very specifically is when you go into a draft, you kind of have to let go of your biases. So what that can mean in Pokemon is, well, maybe I really like playing... Um, if you, maybe you're familiar with a certain line, maybe you really like playing um, Swampert in a cube or something. 
and uh, maybe Swampert's your favorite Pokemon, and you see it in a cube and you get really excited about it, and it's okay to want to play Swampert. But uh, the problem lies when you're trying to maybe get onto a certain deck or even a certain style of deck is that you're only looking at one archetype. And as for reasons we explained earlier, um, when you you have no guarantee of knowing uh, that one archetype's available to you. So um, the, the way that Ben more so su suggests is that you should be more influenced by the draft than you should be by your own biases. Would you say that's fair, Connor? Yeah, definitely. He, he basically says deconstruct all your biases going in and just use the information that is at the table that you see. And that doesn't mean go in with no knowledge. It means go in with no biases and use the knowledge that you do have of the cube, uh, in, in this case of the magic set, of whatever it is, use the knowledge that you do have with an open mind and don't go in totally committed. So an example that he uses here, I think it's a good illustrating example. It doesn't apply to Pokemon exactly, but it, it's very close. Um, he talks about how in some magic sets, it is known that different archetypes are more powerful in draft. So some cards, some, some draft sets will have more powerful aggressive cards. So a lot of players will go into that looking only for aggressive decks because they think that control is worse. And, and it is worse. Control is weaker in general than an aggressive deck. However, it is not bad inherently. Control is not bad just because it's not as good as aggressive uh, decks in that set. So that kind of is, is an example about breaking down your biases and uh, not going into the draft completely walling off certain decks. Now, in some cubes, this is going to be more valid than others. In the best balance cubes, this is exactly what you need to be thinking. Because the best balance cubes, everything is going to be viable. So you really need to break down your biases and, and go in with a totally open mind to have the best possible uh, best odds of having good results. If you are playing a less balanced cube, then then you have to think about it a little bit differently because if you know going in that some lines are going to be really weak and you're going to be unlikely to win with them, you, you definitely don't want to be in those lines. So this is true and it's also not true. It just depends on the cube that you're playing. But assuming that you have a balanced cube, and a lot of what we talk about is going to be assuming you have a balanced cube, um, discarding those biases is going to be huge. Yeah, and really the end goal here is that it gives you more options. So like if you're like strongly opposed to playing a certain archetype, um, and and you bring that with you to the draft, you're just cutting yourself off of like a quite a few lines. And in a draft where it can go any direction, that could just be the thing that hurts you. Like I went into this cubely drafting thinking I don't really want to play dark box. Um, it, that was probably the line I should have been drafting because it was open. So you let these biases kind of prevent you from taking uh, what's open that can set you back quite a few steps. So definitely a mistake that I for one have made and I'm sure others make too. Yeah. I think people make that mistake all the time. You know, they, they, while they're thinking off, they don't really consider certain lines cause you know, maybe it's not in one of their top three and they end up with uh with a poor deck in the end. I think uh, a drafter who does an exceptional job of keeping their mind open during the draft, even to strategies they, they don't think um, are maybe quite as powerful as the best ones. Uh, I, I keep saying they, it's Zach Kreckler in the cube group. Um, he is phenomenal 
at developing really good decks that use Pokemon that people are not that high on or that might not even be the strongest decks in the or Pokemon in the cube. But he's able to keep his mind open, see when those lines are open, and really flesh out an excellent deck. So like this month, a lot of people were not really considering Blaziken because, you know, it's a stage two. It, in a lot of cases, looks worse than Malamar. But Zach saw that Blaziken was open in his pod, and he was able to just get this beautiful Blaziken deck that has tons and tons of different options, tons of amazing cards. He's got a crazy good supporter line because he was able to commit to this archetype that nobody was drafting. And now he's got one of the best decks in the league. And I guarantee you, most of the people that went into that draft went in thinking, I don't want to draft Blaziken. And as a result, a player like Zach, who stayed open and kept his mind open to all these strategies, made this fantastic deck out of it. So um, really concrete example, and definitely an example of a player who is able to do that extremely well and, and successfully. Yeah, Zach was actually voted number one in our power rankings. So that's kind of proof in the pudding right there that, you know, him staying open, he also talks about this on the power rankings for what it's worth, um, that... You know, him not going in with a bias and him just taking the lines that he thought was available definitely pays off in the long run. Yeah, and, and there is there's value to going into a cube having decks that you think are going to be powerful and keeping an eye out for the cards that facilitate those decks. But that's a very big difference from just pigeonholing on those decks and, and really just narrowing in and only accepting those decks as your possible outcomes yeah for sure and then i think to go hand in hand with that the next point we have is uh something he says that uh i i know we kind of both agreed on is that the seagull thing people do that ruins their draft is sticking to their early picks which which means like you take a subtile early and then you just never pivot like you're always on that subtile so connor i know you were really uh you definitely agreed with this when you read it do you have anything you want to say on it yeah, definitely. Uh, so Ben says word for word in this article, uh, quote, the single thing people do that ruins most drafts is stick to their early picks. So that is his word, his, his uh, sentence word for word. And I think that is completely spot on. I will say that in Pokemon, there's one thing that I think ruins decks more often, and that is a lack of consistency. But as we've seen the play skill of the players in the cube discord increase, that that's been less and less of an issue people pretty much build consistent decks now um so now that that's significantly less of an issue i would say the number one issue that causes people to do poorly and ruin their draft is just adhering too much to those those early picks that in pokemon it's even more picks than in magic you know in magic ben stark's probably talking about your first eight to ten picks it, because you only have three packs in pokemon that might be your whole first pack that might even be your whole second pack because you a lot of the time will have six seven even eight packs to consider so um don't adhere too much to those cards that you get early on you know really really see what's going on you know um listen to the table not in the sense of listen to what people are saying but uh listen to the table in the sense of what cards you're seeing um, what signals, what information you have, and uh, that is really going to take you a lot farther than committing to your line too early. Yeah, I think that's like something that I know for me when I read that it really stuck out to me because 
you you get into this mindset where you think, okay, I I have a Pokemon line now. I'm good. I, I found the Pokemon I'm drafting. I, I found a Sceptile. Let's give you Sceptile as an example. Like I, I I found it. I'm good. Let's send it. Um, and 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 for reasons we probably already have made pretty clear. Like that can definitely lead to problems, especially when you don't know what everyone else is taking. It's kind of related to what we just talked about. But I mean, you're you're basically um walling yourself off from any other deck that you could play in the cube too. Like. Perhaps maybe even a better deck presents itself if you're just on one line and you can't and you aren't even seeing other pieces for it, but um, you're you're holding yourself back. So I, I think the the hardest thing is pulling that trigger on when to switch. Right? That seems to be like kind of the hardest thing that you're seeing. Yeah i I think pulling the trigger on switching is difficult, but I think that it can be a little bit less scary if you just are are keeping yourself open early on and you're giving yourself the tools to succeed early on instead of committing to something so if you're in pack two and you've seen one gengar you've seen one haunter and um one ghastly or or let's say those cards have come to you if you're you know, in pack two, the middle of pack two, or even at the end of pack two, and that's all you've seen, that's pretty sparse, you know? Um, and, and if you've been committing to that kind of thing, if you've been, you know, taking a bunch of psychic synergy cards or, you know, just really committing hard and not really taking Pokemon from other lines that might help you out if you were to build a different deck, then it's going to feel like a switch when you get onto something else. But... If your draft pool not only has the 1-1-1 Gengar, because that's a totally reasonable line to have if you are speculatively on a line uh, in pack 2. If you have that 1-1-1 Gengar, but you also have um, you have a, an Electivire or two Electivires. You have a Chandelure. You have, you know, things like that. Other, other powerful cards that you can make decks around in your pool. Then it's not going to feel like such a dramatic shift. Uh, going from Gengar, which, you know, maybe that was your plan A, onto one of your other plans because you've got the tools or at least some of the tools already to make those decks work because you've been staying open. You've been really just taking that most powerful card that will give you the highest chance to win in the end. And um, I, I think those things kind of play hand in hand. But um, even if you are that player who has really hard committed to Gengar, you realize at the end of pack two... Gengar is not coming together, then it is not something that is a terrible decision to just abandon Gengar and get on something else. Like that is that is a decision that will most likely benefit you if you've pretty clearly identified that Gengar is not on the table. So, I mean, after reading this article, something I've been looking at more when I look at cube lists is synergies. So, um, when you have when you look instead of looking at like specifically just like the lines themselves. Like looking at like what line or like what Pokemon in general can go together, um, and I found this has been really useful, especially like when drafting more recently, because uh, it's it's pretty likely sometimes that you're getting into these lines that are just not happening. But certain cards you have in that line work with other cards, so maybe Gengar works with like an Ampharos line. Maybe you can then pivot into that, or maybe there's different synergies with like Chandelure. Um, I found that that's a lot easier to play around than having like a specific deck in mind. Um, we just test drafted this Ultra Beast Cube, and something that I was taking early was Negandadel because 
Uh, Venom Shot could pair nicely into like a few different decks, like a Checkmate deck, a Beast Box deck, or a Cephalon deck, um, as well as the Beast Trade was also a deck, you know. So you had the you had all of that going on. Uh, and then what I ended up drafting was uh, like actually just Bacephalon. <laughs> Um but uh, which was a deck I actually wanted to draft, but going into it just thinking, okay, I'm strictly just playing this one deck that requires these two specific basics. I'm like, that's like a no chance that you're guaranteed that. So I found that having like, okay, well, I know Naganadal works in that deck, but Naganadal also works in a few other decks that I wanted to play. So having that, a few options in that line, and of course they were, I was able to, they were coming to me. I wasn't just hoping by just drafting Poipoles I'd see them, but um that I was, I was thinking about options and thinking if I didn't get into this one line that I wanted to, what other things can I do? Uh, and are there any key pieces I'm not seeing for the deck that maybe I would want to see? Um, and I found that kind of like line of thinking has really helped me develop strategies better because it, it allows me to more pivot into different styles instead of like, okay, I'm definitely playing X deck or rather I'm playing like X, maybe like style of deck with, and I can use these types of attackers. So I like looking at more of the synergies of the deck and what cards you can pair with it rather than just like one specific like line of cards I'm trying to play. Yeah, and I actually think that to even further your point, um, I prefer to draft around enablers more than Pokemon themselves. So um, things like uh, in, in this past Cube League, I know that I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to talk about it too much in depth, but... I saw the fresh squeezed shuckle come through like six pack or pick six or seven, and that said to me that the executor was open, and it would also allow me to, if I did end up in that executor deck, um, to you know have a really powerful deck. Now I wasn't already committed to executor when I did that. I, I had uh, a welder, I had some powerful fire support, I had a couple of very powerful fighting cards. So you know my my draft was pretty open, but I saw that shuckle. And to me, you know, that's a huge enabler. Like, that makes a deck very powerful. So I took the Shuckle, and then next pack, a lone Executor comes in, another, you know, pretty middle-late pick, and then it becomes apparent that the line is open, and I was able to get in on that. Drafting in a way like that, where you draft around your enablers instead of the Pokemon that they enable, can be really really strong and that varies a lot by the cube as well so sometimes the cube just demands that you draft the pokemon that you're enabling and and that's pretty much the deck totally fine but in in decks or in cubes where there are synergies and there are different ways that you can kind of interwork different lines or take advantage of different cards that might not necessarily be obvious that work together or even cards that are obvious that work together, but just keeping those in mind instead of really focusing in on your Pokemon line, the ability to do that reliably and stay open while you're doing that can allow you to, no matter what deck you end up going into in the end, have the card that makes that deck feel unfair, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's something we'll talk about more too once we get to differences. Um, I guess our last point to talk about as far as similarities in this article as it relates to magic would be the difference between cards, the cards have uh, between cubes. So the different values levels in different cubes. So what that means is like, um, like how many, like, like what's the HP in a certain cube and how does that relate to cards like Pokemon Center Lady or cards like Glaring Zigzagoon. Um, and a low power cube uh, where uh, Pokemon have like maybe 100 HP, 120. Uh, Pokemon Center Lady is very strong, right? 
it's going to likely allow you to heal half, if not all, of your HP. And if status conditions are very prominent, that's even a huge bonus. But maybe in a high power cube, it's less good because you're planning more arena on one shots. But also, like if 60 damage doesn't save you from getting knocked out the next turn, it isn't exactly a great card. So we saw PCL be very broken, especially in like mid low power cubes. Um, but in high power cubes, you'd rather be playing something like Acerola or something that's just going to get you everything off, all the damage counters off. So. Uh, that's kind of the idea. Um, I'm not sure how you want to expand upon it, but what other thoughts you have on it? Yeah, I think it all just goes back to context. You know, I, I think this whole conversation centers around drafting with context in mind and all of that. And uh, and this is just another piece of that, where you are thinking about the context that each individual card exists within in the cube. Uh, you're thinking about how the power level shakes out, availability of cards. So, for example, if I know that there are eight Ultra Balls in a cube, I'm not going to take Ultra Balls as high as if there are one or two um if i know that there are multiple of a powerful line topper then i might not prioritize it as much although line toppers i still prioritize pretty highly in general but it, it still changes you know everything changes based on context and, and that's really what drafting the hard way is about in any game uh, whether it be magic pokemon or if you take this and apply it to a different game because this is very applicable knowledge in other games as well um context is is key so uh, definitely to Andrew's point, that goes down to the card level. You know, your PCL is going to be a very, very different card in low power and high power. And um, there are tons and tons of examples of that. Yeah, so I guess we want to start getting into the differences now between the article and, like, how it relates to Magic and Pokemon. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've kind of gone over the similarities, gone over how you can use the teachings for this, you know, what drafting the hard way is, how you can start to incorporate it into your draft but there are differences so reading this article it's not all gospel in pokemon there are definitely things that you need to keep in mind as you read it things that are not true or at least not completely true and the first one of that is draft formats in cube are much more variable than in magic and what i mean when i say that is magic draft has constants you know they are always going to be five colors in magic draft you're always going to draft three packs you're always going to build a 40 card deck things like that are constants in magic draft because magic draft is a sanctioned format that has very outlined rules pokemon cube is totally different from that your pack count, your card count, your deck count, how evolution works, how your first turn works, how stadiums work, or not stadiums, but you know, what cards exist, like all of these things are gonna change dramatically from cube to cube in Pokemon. So there are a lot of things that you are not gonna be able to take for granted as much as Ben does in this article. Things like, you know, which pack is really important in a draft and in, in Magic. That's not something that really exists in the same way in Pokemon Cube, just because there's you, you can't boil it down to the same kind of science that you need to adapt more to what you're seeing and, and what cube you're playing. Yeah, I, that's definitely something that Pokemon doesn't really have is an official draft format. Um, and so obviously cubes will be a lot different than, than how that would be how that would be structured. So 
you definitely can't go into every cube draft of the same type of, I wouldn't say same type of mindset, but like same type of expectations is probably a better way to say it. Uh, just because people have their cube outfit in all different ways. So like Connor said, you're going to have uh, trainer cards might work differently in certain cubes. You might have, you're always going to have different starting rules. So you always have to be on the lookout for, um, you know, how, not all, how all that changes things. So uh, Lucimine is a great card, but like if Lucimine can grab Lucimine, like that is less great than what it truly was. So you always like cards like that cards, like, um, like the trainer counts always are going to make, always going to make things more interesting. So you have to like, kind of look at the context of the cube, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in magic counter spell is going to be a counter spell, uh, talking about the, the two mana spell that counters a spell, very powerful, uh, interaction in pretty much any format that it exists in. But in Pokemon, those cards are going to be a lot fewer and farther between than uh, than they might be in Magic. You know, Kill Spell and Magic is going to have value. Uh, Pokemon doesn't have anything like that at all. So you you do really need to evaluate everything based on context, aside from maybe the the very few top end supporters and item cards that could go into any cube and be very powerful. Right. So then I guess it brings us to probably, I think one of the most interesting contrasts that I wasn't really aware of when I was reading the article until we start talking about it. And that is drafting the best deck does not, uh, does not ruin decks in the same way as it in Pokemon. Um, Connor, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so Ben talks about in the article about um, not trying to draft the nuts or not trying to draft the best deck. Like your goal is not necessarily to do that because to do that, would require you to commit to your colors very early and stay in those colors. Um, that That's not the case in Pokemon. Because in Magic, and this is a big point that he makes, the second best deck or the third best deck at the table might have like a 45-55 matchup against the first best deck at the table. And, and because of how Magic works as a game, because of how consistency works, um, because of you know how variable games are from game to game, even with exactly the same decks, Things will change a lot in Magic. Pokemon, completely different case. Pokemon as a game is designed to execute the same game plan every single time. You very powerful draw, very powerful search. Things that just don't exist in the same way in Magic. So, you do want to build the best deck at the table in Pokemon. And it is going to be easier to do that than in Magic, in general. And the effect of that is going to be more significant. Uh, that said, you don't need every single card in the cube for a deck to make it good. You know, if, if a cube has Welder and Blacksmith and Kiawe for fire, you only get Blacksmith and Welder, you have a really good fire core still. Like, it's not like because you missed Kiawe, you can't have the best deck at the table. So don't take it too too much of an extreme, but... The best deck at the table is often going to have 60-40, 70-30, maybe even an 80-20 matchup over the second best deck at the table, just depending on what the matchup itself is and exactly how much better that deck is. So differences in deck quality are going to be felt very differently in Pokemon and in Magic, and that's definitely something that you need to keep in mind. You know, skating on a deck that you don't think is very good is going to be rare, if you are drafting with competent drafters in Pokemon. 
And I think the other thing too, and we talked about this in the Kaka Pack, but it's linchpin cards are a big difference maker too. So like if you're drafting a deck that you, that has one card in it that's very strong. So like let's just take Shuckle for example, like Nalolan Eggs. Uh, and Eggs without that Shuckle is significantly weakened. So you have to think about the decks you're drafting and what kind of linchpin cards you have available to you, right? That's like a bigger thing in, in Pokemon. Yeah, and that kind of ties in with what I talked about earlier about drafting around enablers too. Pretty much every single time you build the best deck at the table, you're going to be taking very powerful advantage of at least a couple of cards. Whether that be Shuckle in this month's cube, Guzzlord GX for dark decks. You know, a, a dark deck without Guzzlord GX is going to be dramatically worse than a deck with it. Um, cards like the recall empoleon empoleon's gonna be a lot worse without it although it's still a fine deck i'm i'm trying to come up with more examples um you know some fire decks especially in high power cube with no blacksmith and no welder these are things that we talk about in power rankings if you've listened to any of those in the past but uh if you haven't then totally fine we're you know covering the same ideas here um you need some cards that that work together that you're taking advantage of that make your deck more powerful than the other people at the table you're not going to make the best deck almost ever if you you know have a table of competent drafters just by taking your pokemon and making a deck that sets up your pokemon yeah and i think that's something i didn't realize when we were talking about the um and the cracker pack before oh, before we record the uh the intro was that um, I mean, enablers are like some of the best like signals you can get to, and they're also some of the best uh, ways to feel more confident in the line. Like I feel way better playing the one executor executor with a shuckle than I would actually with the line in hand. Um, granted, you do need those cards to actually play the deck, but um, it's it feels a lot worse to draft an alone eggs deck and not have those cards available to you because you have no idea if that line's even open without those enablers. So, looking at cards that way definitely changes your perspective. I know it did for mine. Um, cards like Guzzlord are like are a good indicator for like lines being open. So we talked talked about like maybe if you take like Beavile early or if you took like some dark box attackers early. We're talking about Vents Cube. Um, you have no idea knowing if your deck's gonna work until you have more of these like key indicators like the Guzzlord, um, or maybe even like Dark Patch or like certain cards that are really strong in those decks as opposed to just the Pokemon because deck is more so powerful because of those cards than it is having a consistent strategy you know what i mean yeah and and we use the word enabler here in a little bit different way than you might be used to using it really all we're talking about are the cards that can allow a deck to be better than the decks around it um so you know guzzlord gx might be considered a payoff in some cases but here for our purposes, we're calling it an enabler just because it, it is the card that enables the dark deck to be better than the decks around it. So um, generally, we won't use the word in this context, but uh, I was thinking about it as as you were talking about it, and I was like, huh, this is a little bit strange, just given how it's normally spoken about. So um, definitely a note to make is just that we're using these words in a slightly different context in this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, something else too to think about is that like in Pokemon and this is kind of rehashing what we were just talking about is that like having like an average like dark box deck and to continue on with the example is like definitely not the same as having a good one in the sense that like if my deck didn't have Guzzlord GX in it 
it's significantly worse. So to play these decks with like to play like an average Sharkbot deck as opposed to like a really good one, your win records definitely would be probably reflective of that, right? Yeah, you know, if your magic deck, if you're playing a blue deck and you don't have Force of Will, if you don't have Jace the Mind Sculptor, those are just two very powerful blue cards. Then you could still have an amazing deck, like a, a totally, you know, knock you out fantastic deck. But in Pokemon, you know, if you are playing a Rain Dance deck and you don't have a Rain Dancer, your deck is garbage. Like it's it's just bad. And uh, and those kind of single card points exist very very rarely, if at all, in Magic Draft. So definitely a difference to keep in mind when you do apply this approach. You know, if you read the article, if you really try to internalize it, uh, you you want to keep that in mind for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're kind of getting towards the end here. Is there any points we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I think we've covered it pretty clearly. Uh, this will probably be a little bit shorter episode than usual, but it's got, it's really dense. I feel, uh, the, the concepts are really difficult to wrap your head around compared to our normal topics where they're more concrete examples here. They're more high concept and you have to think through it and it's, it's harder to apply than, uh, you know another episode might be so um a lot to chew through and definitely recommend that everybody read that article that the whole episode is about um possibly uh before really trying to apply it to your game um you know it's hard to say before listening to this episode read this article just because we're an hour into the episode but um definitely read the article before you try to apply it to your game don't just use the podcast. It is a very short article and very easy to get through. So just, you know, take another perspective on it. Maybe we didn't cover things in exactly the way that Ben intended them. And uh, you can get that from yourself for yourself from the source as well. It's also free. So uh, definitely no reason not to read it. And like I said, it is very short. Uh, probably entry to why it's probably a shorter episode is because it is actually probably only going to take you maybe five minutes to actually read. So you can probably read it a few times and try to maybe digest what he's talking about and maybe compare and contrast to what we were going off about. But it is a very good article. Definitely can understand why people are uh, attributing this to very, uh, it's a very famous article for a reason, I'm trying to say. And I, it has a lot of good concepts. So I hope you guys found this interesting. I definitely was like, once I read this article, I was like, all right, we definitely have to talk about it. So I was really happy to uh, get this together and talk about it with Connor and get this like, you know, the differences between Pokemon and Magic, I feel like, are very hard to tell. Like, I definitely could not figure this out immediately, these differences. And maybe that's just me, but I, I was definitely happy to talk about, like, what is and isn't applicable to Pokemon. Yeah, it's it's tough without the background, for sure. Like, um, it's, it's easy to read this article and realize that it applies to more than just Magic, but it's hard to read this article and say, okay this thing specifically doesn't apply to my game. So hopefully being able to lend context there will uh, help people kind of make use of what is applicable to their game and kind of disregard the rest. For sure. And if there's any feedback anyone wants to give or anything that we talked about that you maybe start record with you, let us know in the comments section about anything you want to talk about, anything you found interesting in this article. Maybe you read it yourselves and you had some thoughts on it. Feel free to let us know. But uh, in the meantime, we are going to be wrapping up this segment, going right into the conclusion. So we will be right back in just a second. All right. Welcome back to this conclusion segment. So 
as I'm sure many of you probably already realized, we got to struggle to figure out what to put in this segment. And started out with the Q&A, and then we weren't quite getting a lot of questions. But if you ever have any Q questions, make sure to let us know, because we would love to answer them. But uh, something something I kind of brought up is um, maybe just talking for like five minutes to see, giving us some time to talk about what's you know, what's been new in our lives and give you guys sort of uh, sort of an update, see what's been, uh, you know, what we've been interested in. So, um, Connor, you got anything you want to talk about? Like what's been new to you, what you've been getting into? Yeah, as, as much as we might seem like cube robots on the podcast, uh, where all we think or talk about is cube, we are real people uh, behind the camera or behind the mic. So um, I don't know. I, I thought this could be fun, too. So I'm excited for it. Uh, so I have I have two things that I have been on my mind lately that I've been enjoying a lot. Um, neither of them are particularly I guess novel um, but uh, one of them is d and I've been thinking a lot about D&D lately because I run a D&D campaign uh, that I write a lot of stuff for and um, uh, AJR the band I've been on a, a small kick of them lately um, so D&D I, I run a big campaign. I've been running a campaign for a couple of years. We've been in a little bit of a lull. haven't gotten to play in a couple of months because we've got some weird work schedules. So I, uh, I really enjoy being able to write an adventure and just be creative in that way. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, so just thinking about the direction that I want the campaign to move in. Um, very excited to have potentially a new person coming into the campaign. So that'll be neat. Um, that's been, it's been exciting. So if you haven't played D&D... Strongly recommend D&D. It's very, very easy to play online. I don't know how easy it is to find a group. Usually people just kind of talk to their friends, but strong recommendation D&D. And then um, AJR, the band, has been like a short kick for me. I've heard a song of theirs here and there before, and I've enjoyed it. But uh, they just released a new album, which I admittedly only thought was okay. But it got me to listen to more of their discography, which I enjoyed quite a bit. So... Uh, I don't know if I will have the same opinion on them in a week as I do right now, considering I'm, you know, on a kick and listening to more of them than I normally would. Maybe I'll have a strong disdain for them in a week, but right now I recommend <laughs> them. <laughs> uh, but Andrew, whatever you'd like, go ahead. I was gonna say I like when you find a band and then like you you think about you listen to a few songs and you end up listening to like their entire album. I think that's always that's always like a nice experience. I think that's so much fun. Like I really love just listening, finding a band that has a really good song, and then you listen to all their stuff. It's really disappointing when the rest of their stuff is worse than the song that you found them through, because that does happen. Well, what's kind of fun? I mean, so we both like this band called Fun, which I'm sure many are familiar with because they have a few hits. And uh, how I got into that band was because like. I mean, they had their hit Some Nights that I listened to a lot, but like, I haven't heard any of their other music. This is, I mean, this was like years ago. That was like in 2012. And like, that's what got me to listen to like all of their albums and stuff. Is Cause like that's like that curiosity where you're like, oh, do they have any other music? I actually ended up really enjoying um, uh, Roman Candle and then like Some Nights for both two great albums. Um, but that's kind of funny. That's how I got into that band. Roman Candle, man, it's Aim and Ignite. Aim and Ignite. Uh, they have a song called Roman Candle, though. They do have a song. Yeah. Well, yeah, I associate it because that's where they say Aim and Ignite in the song. That is true. That is true. All right. All right. True fan status of uh, Regain. <laughs> <laughs> Aim and Ignite. Yeah, that's the album name. Yeah, um, so. Listen listen to Fun. If you haven't listened to Fun already, 
um, definitely go back and do that. You know, they're like a decade old, their, their discography at this point, but it's still fantastic. So listen to fun. <laughs> AJR is pretty cool. You were showing me a song. Uh, let's see here. The song I listened to was called A Week. Um, which was their most listened to song on Spotify. I liked it. It was like a mix between like pop and like sort of a like a I don't want to use the word dubstep, but it had more of like a it had like a beat to it. It was, yeah. was kind of nice. Yeah, it's kind of got this like uh, kind of like lo-fi y kind of thing. Kind of like, like indie vibe-y. pop with some like electronic stuff going on. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, definitely like electronic, which I I'm having to like a lot more. I know like a lot of stuff I've been listening to is like. Um, a lot of Khalid, a lot of Post Malone, just a lot of like stuff with like heavy like electronic emphasis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like for me this week, my uh, I guess newest addiction has been uh, uh tower defense games, specifically balloon tower defense, which I'm sure like anyone who's like in their twenties has probably played online, like in grade school. Um, and I just was like getting, uh, an itch to play something of that nature. So then like, I was, I just looked to see where they're at. Cause I used to play like the really old ones. And then I saw that six was, has, is like the latest one. So I downloaded that on my phone and, and <laughs> for the course of a day, I proceeded to get to like level 50. I just could <laughs> not stop playing. Cause like, I don't know. I've always had an affinity for tower defense games just because, um, I mean, every game sort of feels different because you learn more about the levels as you progress but then also what I like what balloon tower defense does is that like the upgrades are really cool to all the towers so and as you upgrade new towers you learn about new strategies and it seems like it's like a lot more than than what probably more to get into but I don't know um I also really enjoy the chaos that it happens like once you get to like the later ends like I think the levels go up to like level like 999, but usually you're dead by before 100. But it just gets so chaotic even past like the goal mark. So like usually they say, okay, you get to level 80 and you pass the level, but I usually go past that. And then uh, and then it just gets crazy. Like there's just balloons popping everywhere. And it's a bit rewarding because like you set all of this stuff up. Like you have all these turrets and like all this other like, you know, like these cannons and all this crazy stuff that you've been setting up the entire game. And it's kind of like, watching all of the fruits of my labor now unfolding so i don't know i always find that experience to be very satisfying yeah i uh i definitely get the the blooms um i don't know just experience i've never played the the most recent iteration but i played blooms tower defense back when it was like a flash game and it was i probably roughly the same thing as it is now just uh less fleshed out so lots of fun there one thing that um that I forgot to talk about that I've definitely been into lately is Tournament of Champions on Food Network. Have you have you heard of that show? I have not. You want to explain it to me? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, normally I don't watch TV very much at all, um, but this show has been really fun. I, I like food a lot. I like cooking a lot. So um, Tournament of Champions on Food Network is like a single elimination bracket where chefs who are like very accomplished whether it be in cooking competitions whether it be in just the food world in general come together and and like cook off with this random wheel of ingredients um it's more 
the wheel is more coordinated than something like chopped. Like it's not just completely random garbage. Um, but uh, it's a lot of fun just to see like extremely skilled chefs competing against each other and producing dishes that are amazing. And, and there's also so much history between them that it's a lot of fun. And uh, I recommend that as well. I just Googled it. It looks like Guy Fieri is the host. Guy Fieri is the host, yes. He does a good job as a host, as he generally does. It looks like, so I'm just looking at that picture. They have like some, I'm seeing this picture of like some sort of wheel. Like he's got like protein, produce, equipment, style, and time, and it's like different. Yeah, yeah, that's basically the, that's the, the twist, I guess you could say. You know, it's not just get together and make whatever you want. It's get together and you need to use these things. So he, uh, really cool. he spins the wheel before each like matchup. I know I really was watching Master Chef for like the same. Well, that was different, but like it was always like a, a, a unique dish or like they'd give them like some like really crazy ingredients. and You'd have to like make it work. I don't know. I, I, testing their like creativity was always something cool to watch, especially as someone who doesn't know anything about cooking. Yeah, my favorite one is Top Chef, like my favorite cooking Ooh, show. Ooh, Chop Chef. Chop Chef is good too. Yeah, Top Chef is is hella because it's all professional chefs, and a lot of the time it's very accomplished professional chefs. So seeing how they approach stuff is really cool, I think. And also, it doesn't. Top Chef is a reality show, but it like doesn't focus on drama very much. It like is about the food and the cooking and the culture that they're observing for whatever episode they're doing. So. Um, I really like that about it as well. Cause I, I don't, I don't care about drama. Like I'm here to watch people make food and fight, you know, like that's, <laughs> uh, that's what I'm about. So I really like that in Top Chef. I don't know. I like those kind of shows cause like I'm someone who really likes to appreciate someone's craft. So like seeing these very accomplished chefs being able to like produce like what they do is just, I don't know. You just watch you're like, wow, they're <laughs> really good at what they do. Yeah, seeing people, seeing professionals and highly skilled people do what they are highly skilled at, I think is just so interesting, always. Um, there's another show on Netflix called Blown Away. It was a competition show with glass blowers. Never anything that I have considered before. Never anything I would have thought was so interesting. But man, that show was so good. Just like watching people who are highly skilled do what they're highly skilled at was so neat. Blown away. I have to take okay, I just Google that. That looks really cool. I'll have to watch that. Strongly, strongly recommend that one. Very digestible. I think the episodes are short. Um, yeah, so strongly recommended. Well, so now you guys got a lot of new things to look at. So uh this is definitely a different segment that we usually do, but I think it's nice. I think it's a good breakup between all of the uh really in-depth cube context to kind of just give us all a chance to breathe and talk about life. Uh, especially because you know the the main segments can be kind of long and a lot a lot of cube talking <laughs> a lot of cube content talking about there so this is a good like uh sort of geek impress that hopefully you guys also enjoy and um you know we don't have the opportunity to get to know every one of you guys even as much as we like to uh, but at least you can get to know us a little bit more and you know see the people who are you know behind the, the mic so Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, this is definitely real P3 podcast hours. But, <laughs> uh, but with that all said, uh, remember we are going to be back in two weeks. So you can expect the next episode to be out April 15th. Um, but 
With that all said, this is you've been listening to the P3 Podcast, one only Pokemon Q podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to the co-host, Brian Lavelle, and we will see you guys next time.